Welcome to WPS 302 FedRAMP Accelerated, Speeding Up the ATO Process. I'm Jen Gray, Senior Security Manager of AWS Security Assurance. Joining me today, we have Michael Carter and Joe Whittles from the FedRAMP Services Assessment of Coal Fire. How many of you feel like going through the Federal Risk Authorization Management process is like going through a black box. It's complex and overwhelming. So we're here today to show you how you can use AWS to help you get through the FedRAMP ATO process with less headaches. We want you to leverage AWS to get through FedRAMP fast and help you utilize the AWS solutions to accelerate your FedRAMP progression. First, you want to start with a strong, robust, and flexible cloud provider like AWS, who can help you adjust when you need to especially when you're going through your FedRAMP assessment. So what is resiliency? If we ask each customer, you'll have a different answer because of their needs. And the beauty of AWS is that we are resilient and flexible. So we can fulfill many of the needs of many customers. AWS understands and knows what's important to our customers. Customers from government, education, and nonprofit. AWS has figured out what matters most to these customers, especially when it comes to security and compliance. As you can see, AWS has achieved many internationally recognized certifications and accreditations. From PCI to ISO 27001, even with the US Department of Defense Cloud Computing Security Requirements Guide from impacts level two through five, and of course, FedRAMP, high and moderate provisional authorizations. So you know you can be secure because we have a broad certification and accreditation program. It gives you the assurance that you can run your most sensitive workloads on AWS. Using what we learned to go through the FedRAMP ATO process, AWS created the AWS FedRAMP Partner Package. The AWS FedRAMP Partner Package helps you understand what you need to do to get started with FedRAMP. We also made this package available to you through AWS Artifacts. And what's great about AWS Artifacts is that it's located right in your AWS Management Console. You know how time-consuming this process is and wouldn't it be ideal for a one-stop shop? So that's what we did. 
We created it for you. And so now you can access the AWS Federant Partner Package in your management console through AWS Artifacts anytime, anywhere, from any device. AWS understands that you also want to establish the relationship with the government to get started with FedRAMP. FedRAMP opens the door so that you can build businesses with the government. So we brought this to you. We have up to 125 government agency authorizations. So if you visit FedRAMP Marketplace, you'll see the multiple agency authorizations we have today. And AWS continues to strengthen its partnerships with the many government agencies across the US. We have built a model for you so that you can access these agencies, so that you can expand and start your own relationship with these government agencies today. You also wanted another GovCloud. And so in 2018, we are bringing GovCloud to the east. So now you have the flexibility to place resources, your data, and instances in other locations. So what else do we have going on for you? In the last three years, you wanted more services in the AWS FedRAMP authorization boundary. We went from five services from 2013 to 2015, all the way up to 20 services in 2017, because you wanted it so that you can use it for your FedRAMP process. And now we're bringing you these services in 2017. We're bringing you new services including EC2 Systems Manager, Macy, and AWS Config. We know that you want to secure and protect your data according to the government standards. And that's why we achieved getting AWS Key Management Services, FIPS 140-2, certified and validated by the National Institutes of Standards and Technology. AWS Key Management Services is integrated with many of our services, including EBS, Redshift, and RDS and many others to make it simple for you to encrypt your data with encryption keys that you manage. KMS is also integrated with AWS CloudTrail. It provides you with the key usage to be able to help meet your FedRAMP auditing and compliance requirements. You also have customers who are Department of Defense customers, and you wanted to run impact level five workloads on AWS. So we brought this to you. AWS GovCloud 
now has achieved its impact level five provisional authorization. You need to run mission critical workloads on AWS and we are able to provide that for you. And these are the services available to you today. So you need a resilient cloud provider to go to the FedRAMP process. And AWS is resilient and flexible so you can accomplish your business and security objectives. Well, we didn't just stop there. Just recently, we received many questions from customers, especially across the government, and they wanted our commercial region, our US East region, to go through the FedRAMP JAB authorization. They wanted this because they wanted more services in our commercial region so that they could build FedRAMP solutions for government customers. And now we have our US East West region has achieved its FedRAMP JAB provisional authorization. And all of these services are available to you today to start your FedRAMP process. Next, we have Michael Carter, who's gonna walk through secure FedRAMP authorization paths and also talk about how leveraging AWS will help you accelerate your ATO FedRAMP assessment process. Michael. <coughs> Ooh. Perfect, thanks Jen. So there are three paths to a FedRAMP authorization. The first one is the Joint Authorization Board, otherwise known as JAB. Second one is an agency sponsorship. And the third one, which is a relatively new path, is called FedRAMP Tailored. This was released in late September of this year. We're gonna talk about each of them here. When we talk about JAB, the FedRAMP PMO put a lot of emphasis in the last two to three years on identifying ways to streamline the authorization process. The very first few through the JAB path took a long time, whether it's completion of the testing, a, the actual review process on the back end. So what the FedRAMP PMO did is they reached out to uh, the JAB team members themselves, leading three POs, and then cloud service providers, including Amazon, to identify ways to actually decrease that timeline. What was the root cause to the length of time it took to get that authorization? When it comes to the AWS and the CSP side of things, uh, AWS took it upon themselves to create the partner package, which is what Jen just alluded to. This is step zero in your job authorization process. You want to obtain a copy of that partner package and use it as a starting point for you to go down the FedRAMP path. The partner package is gonna tell you which controls are inherited from Amazon It'll tell you which ones are generally a customer responsibility in terms of your agency. It gives you a starting point for your system security plan. It kind of gives you the foundation that you need to build your own package. When it comes to the 3PO, the, the one thing that we generally saw is the providers who made it through the program the fastest were those that did a pre-assessment or a readiness assessment. These are to identify, think of it as like a gap. What are the mandatory requirements for FedRAMP? And are you meeting it in advance of doing a full-blown assessment? A full FedRAMP assessment takes time. And you don't want to get to the end of it and realize you missed FIPS 140-2, multi-factor authentication, the major showstoppers for the program. So when we told the FedRAMP PMO that we do these pre-assessments, 
they said, hey, that's a great idea. Let's roll that out as a mandatory uh, requirement. So the JAB rolled out a federal readiness assessment requirement in which you engage a 3PO to do a stopgap of these mandatory requirements. Uh, this process came out in 2016 and has resulted in a lot of identification of issues long before the actual assessment. So yes, the costs went up, but you're not going down the path and realizing something late in the game that you should have known in advance and had time to actually fix. So that's really step one. Step two, you're now gonna build your security package. So again, you leverage the partner package that AWS provided to you. You develop your own package, build your system security plan, develop your policies and procedures, actually implement all the 325 or 421 security controls and get it ready for your 3PO assessment. You then engage a 3PO to come in and conduct their assessment. So the assessment is kind of fourfold. Uh, first off, they will develop a security assessment plan. The plan is gonna outline the methodology for the test, the scope of what's in the assessment, the team members conducting the test, a schedule, things of that nature. And then they will conduct the test. There is a manual controls assessment, there is a pen test, there are vulnerability scans of the operating system, the database, and the web applications. And then there, if you have custom code, there is a source code review requirement um, on any of the custom code. So they do the assessment, and then that is packaged up with the security package developed by the cloud provider, and then is submitted to the Joint Authorization Board for review. This is where, when we talk about the two to three years ago, the emphasis put on the timelines, uh, the Federal PMO kind of looked at themselves and said, hey, we're taking a long time to review it, but why? Uh, and their process was sporadic. It depended on who the reviewer was, uh, the, you know, what else they had on their plate. So they put some structure to it. And in that structure, they said, look, we're going to commit to a 12 to 15 week window to review this, act this package to determine if it's worthy of a JAB provisional authorization. So there's a formal process to it. There's a kickoff. They deep dive into the system security plan, the security assessment plan, and the security assessment report, look at the risks that were identified, and then they're going to do their own authorization review. So generally, it's about three months is what we've been seeing. They do try to stick to that 12-month or 12-week window uh, to grant that authorization. So that's kind of the jab path. A good use case uh, for the jab path was a recent one. So Accenture, Accenture has their Insights platform, or AIP. Uh, this sits on GovCloud. In February of 2017, uh, they put together a business case to which they presented to the JAB to grant to allow them the ability to go down the JAB path. There is a prioritization uh, concept to what the JAB is willing to accept. They're just There's too many systems going through Federal that they need to prioritize certain ones. So they created a business pitch in February. In March, they were down-selected. There were seven vendors who were selected. They were one of the seven. At that point, we came in. We were their 3PO. We conducted the assessment, uh, built our test plan, did those four sets of tests, documented the results. And then in May, we presented the package to the JAB. They did their, their formal kickoff. We did a back and forth. There were some findings that we found that they had um, questions on, one of more details. There was some security plan updates that they wanted. They wanted to go through their poems. Uh, so in that back and forth, updates were made by both sides. And then in September, right around September, they were granted their JAB provisional authorization and they were the first ones to make it through that new JAB prioritization process with the JAB PAQ on their part. 
from an agency authorization perspective, uh, the process is very similar uh, to the jab. You're still going to want to leverage the Federal package. Again, it's your starting point for any type of Federal authorization, regardless of the path to which you're going to go down. There are some subtle nuances. The readiness assessment is an optional task for agencies. Again, it's mandatory for JAB, but if you're going agencies uh, path, you do not have to do it. There are some agencies who are starting to require it, but not all of them do. So just ask the agency in question uh, if they have that requirement. Uh, if you're looking to identify the gaps, it is definitely a, a worthy investment to identify it up front. If you do it within enough time, you can reuse some of the logic you get from that assessment for your full assessment. Um, but it definitely is an optional pass for an agency assessment. You again develop the security package. Same documents are required. Uh, you're going to develop your security plan, policies, and procedures. So again, it doesn't matter which path. You're going to spend the same amount of time. Uh, you can do this in-house. You can do it. You can outsource it. If you um, pick a 3PO to help you write it, that just can't be the same 3PO who does your test. Uh, but in reality, if you want to do it in-house, you can do it in-house. You begin your 3PO assessment. There is no delta between a jab test and an agency test. It's all tested the same, uh, the same control requirements, the same workbooks you use. You still build a test plan. You build the test report. Uh, all of that's the same. The biggest difference between a jab and an agency um, path is the actual review process. So under jab, you're talking reviews from DHS, DOD, and GSA. So you got three agencies, three sets of reviewers, all providing comments on the package, and you know you kind of got to get them all on the same page. When it comes to agency, you just got the one agency. So if you go past that person's set of comments, you guys are all in alignment, you generally will get your authorization a little bit faster. So this timeline's about a month. It does fluctuate based on the agency. Some agencies are more rigorous, some are not. Depending on how you look at it, it could be a good thing or a bad thing. You do want a good review because in reality, if you're going agency, you want other agencies to trust what was done. So you want them to make sure that they did their own due diligence in reviewing your package before they granted their own authorization. A good use case for an agency authorization, which happened recently, was Druva. So Druva, their InSync SaaS product, um, we were their 3PO. They were looking for a sponsor. They didn't have one when we first started talking to them. So they asked us to do a readiness assessment. So we did our readiness assessment. Once that was done, there were some findings that they had to actually fix. Uh, so we did, we did fix, or they fixed the findings. We did some validation. Uh, along the same timelines, they engaged uh, Ashley Mahan. So Ashley Mahan is the Federant Evangelist from the Federant PMO's office. She helped them identify the sponsor to which they were going to use. Uh, that sponsor ended up being the National Cancer Institute under HHS. Uh, once N NCI agreed to sponsor, we jumped in, did our assessment, started down, did the SAP, did all the testing, did the report. Uh, and then around the October timeframe is when NCI granted their ATO and Drew officially completed the, the initial assessment. The third path is the Federal tailored path. And again, this is new. This is like late September that it came out. It follows the formal RMF process. It's just a simply modified version of it. So there's a six step process. 
there is no jab when you talk jab and agency there's no jab authorization tied to tailored it's always going to be an agency authorization there are six requirements you have to meet to qualify for tailored before you do anything else so the first one it's you got to be in a cloud environment um, seems kind of obvious but um, it has to be operational don't know notional systems i don't want something down on paper that's not actually built so you have to actually have the system built ready to go it has to be a SaaS, no PaaS, no infrastructure. So it's only for SaaS systems. It has to have no PII information, personally identifiable information. This is the big one. Uh, and the reason being is FedRAMP is all based on baselines. So there's a FedRAMP moderate baseline, there's a high baseline. So Taylor is assuming the low baseline. Uh, and to be low, you cannot have personally identifiable information. It has to be deemed a low security impact, which again ties into the low baseline requirement. And it must be hosted on a FedRAMP approved platform or infrastructure. So if you sit on Amazon, you're good to go. Um, they're already FedRAMP approved. If you sit on another infrastructure that's not FedRAMP approved, you won't be able to even make it through the door. Um, so those are the kind of the six qualifying steps. If you hit those, then you can go down the tailored path and you start following the RMF process. So the first step is categorize your system. So under NIST 860, there are information types for the data that traverses through the environment. Uh, you have to categorize that. So you need to identify what those data types are, what are you storing, processing, transmitting, things like that. Um, and then that gets documented. From there, you select the security controls to which you are gonna be included in your baseline. But what's nice is FedRAM's already done this for you. So there are 37 requirements for FedRAM tailored, mandatory requirements from a control standpoint. And then there are 75 self-attestation controls. So the self-attestation, you're gonna just describe what you're doing to meet the intent of those controls. The 37 controls you get independently assessed. You implement these controls, the self-attestation self ones and the 37. Uh, so actually go implement the controls, how you see fit in your environment, document the results and what the actual implementation is. That gets documented into an equivalent of a system security plan. The difference here is it's not a, a separate document like FedRAMP. They call it the SAS framework template right now. And it's gonna just look similar. It'll tell you 37 controls and you describe what you're doing. Then you're gonna bring your 3PO in to do a test on just the 37 controls. For the 37 controls, they don't build a test plan. They don't do a, a assessment report like to do for the other pass. Uh, they actually lump the results into your SaaS framework template. So now it's one massive document that has what the cloud provider does and what the 3PO did together. That is all packaged up. It is sent over to the agency that's looking to sponsor the tailored authorization. And then they will grant their own authorization if they see, you know, deem the risk acceptable. After you do that, you're now going to monitor your controls. So there are monthly requirements, there are annual requirements. Uh, one subtle nuance for tailored for annual testing is you have to do all 37 controls every year. Um, FedRAMP, you do a subset. But for tailored, you have to do all of them again. again it's only 37, so it's not that big of a deal, um, but you do have to do them all over again. For use case, there, there's nothing. Nobody's gone through tailored at all. Uh, so. Come early 2018, you'll see a few, we've heard some rumblings of providers going down that path. 
uh, once they build their SAS framework template out and have a 3PO come in and test, it should be relatively fast from an approval standpoint. So I would think in early 2018, you'll see quite a few being authorized down that path. So at this point, I'm gonna pass out to my colleague, Joe. Uh, he's gonna walk through some of the AWS tools and services that are out there to help you automate your solution with specifics to the FedRAMP uh, requirements. So, Joe. Michael. First off, I wanna say thanks for coming. Um, it's glad to see so many faces at a compliance session. We don't typically get a lot of love, but it's glad to see you guys here. Uh, but I wanna talk about are, are some of the common pitfalls we see time and time again when we go on some of these FedRAMP engagements and some of the AWS services that you guys can use as a cloud service provider to avoid those pitfalls. And based on our experience and an analysis of the FedRAMP marketplace, these include things such as vulnerability scanning, component inventory, configuration settings, content of audit records, and account management. Now I wanna, I wanna preface my conversation by saying the tools that I'm about to talk to are, are not an all-inclusive list uh, to avoid these pitfalls and, and implement the FedRAMP security controls. There's a ton of other tools out there in the AWS marketplace to help you implement the FedRAMP controls, but I wanted to hit on a couple services that, that AWS directly manages and that have either gone through the FedRAMP authorization process or are currently going through the FedRAMP authorization process. So I want to start with vulnerability scanning. And what we typically find when we go on site at a cloud service provider is that they may or may not be conducting vulnerability scans, most aren't conducting credentialed vulnerability scans. And even if they are, they're not remediating those vulnerabilities that they identify within the timeframes that FedRAMP requires. So in a, a kind of conventional sense, um, a CSP will set up a service account, provide privileges to that service account, and then use their third-party tool to conduct their assessment. Um, they get the vulnerability data back, and all of a sudden we see 20, 30% of the hosts that they were targeting didn't credential correctly. Well, that just leads to a lot of inefficiencies with our scan engineers and their security engineers going back and forth and trying to figure out why these hosts didn't credential. Well, AWS aims to avoid that credentialing issue by implementing a tool like AWS Inspector um, that uses, it approaches vulnerability scanning uh, via agents. And these agents are deployed on your EC2 instances through manual mechanisms or through automated mechanisms like uh, EC2 user data where it's installed upon boot or, or through your cloud formation templates or through EC2 systems managers run command. There's a ton of different ways to get the agent actually onto your instances. But the way it works um, is you set up an assessment, you identify the targets that you wanna hit. Uh, in inspectors, this is typically done through tagging. And then you select an assessment rules package. And this is basically the evaluation criteria that you're selecting for your assessment. And when it comes to FedRAMP, what we're commonly uh, focused on is common vulnerabilities and exposures, or, or CVEs, as you guys might have heard it referred to as. Um, so you kick off that assessment against those target hosts. That agent on those EC2 instances starts to collect that telemetry data off those instances, aggregates that data, and sends it back to the inspector engine. Um, that data is then evaluated based on the assessment rules package that you've defined. And it provides you risk ratings for any vulnerabilities that are identified on your instances. Um, these are qualitative risk ratings, so high, moderate, and low, uh, or informational. And it just, it, like I said, it, it tries to avoid this credentialing issue that, that some third-party tools that, that you'll run into when you try and conduct credentialed scans 
uh, and allows you and your security engineers to go ahead and, and fix those vulnerabilities. So that's how Inspector can help you implement a control like RA5, but it could also help you implement a control like CM4, which is security impact analysis. And it, it does this by integrating with a, a tool like CloudFormation, where you can set up a template um, where you say spin up this particular instance, uh, apply these packages, and then run this inspector assessment using this assessment rules package. So you, you set up that template, it deploys the instance in your pre-prod environment, uh, you get these vulnerabilities back, um, and, and you can define within that template, it says, hey, if there's any highs or moderates, do not deploy into my production environment. Uh, if there aren't, go ahead and push it to production. So this is typically a pretty manual process, but with Inspector, you can try and start to automate that, that uh, security impact analysis process. So you got your vulnerability data, what do you do with it? That's where a tool like Systems Manager can really come into play. And, and vulnerability data uh, can really be categorized into kind of two different categories, misconfigurations and missing patches. Uh, and Systems Manager functions very similar to Inspector in that it's agent-based, um, but what's really cool about it is it's cross-platform, so it supports both Linux and Windows operating systems. But it also supports hybrid architectures, so the agent that Systems Manager uses can be installed on your instances within the AWS cloud, but they can also be installed on the instances in your, your on-prem data center. But getting back to vulnerability scanning and vulnerability scan data, uh, in particular, misconfigurations. So Systems Manager offers a feature called Run Command. And what Run Command allows you to do is centrally manage your instances so that when you get that vulnerability data back and it says, uh, 20, 30 of your hosts have FTP open on them. You can use run command to centrally manage those instances and turn off that service. And obviously this helps from a, an effic uh, efficiency perspective, but it can also help from a security perspective in that you only need to give your administrators access to systems manager to run certain commands instead of giving them access to all of your instances within your environment. Now the second category of vulnerability scan data is missing patches. And Systems Manager offers a feature called Patch Manager. And what it allows you to do is automate the patch management process. So you can set up um, maintenance windows and say, as soon as patches are made available, apply those to my pre-prod environment immediately. And then apply those patches to my production environment seven days after release. So you can apply those immediately to pre-prod, have your security engineers start to evaluate how those patches are affecting your environment and then automatically push those into production seven days after they've had a chance to really see how those patches affect your environment. Um, and it, it takes out that human error that's associated with it of someone, oh, I forgot to apply these patches. Um, it really just holds people accountable. The next pitfall I want to talk about is component inventory. And what we see a lot of times is CSPs have defined configuration baselines, and then they, they deploy that baseline into their production environment. But then six months later, they see people have turned on services, turned off services, uh, and their current state is nowhere near what their desired state was in their baseline configuration. And this is what we commonly refer to as configuration drift. And it's... It's, it's great that you have a configuration baseline, but if you're not following that six months, a year down the road, what, what kind of good is it? Um, so what we try to, to do is 
I want to address this from kind of two different uh, standpoints. From an AWS account perspective, Sorry, <laughs> that's the next pitfall. Uh, this pitfall is component inventory, I apologize. Uh, this is a very manual process uh, in that people identify instances in their environment uh, and it's, it's usually collected in a massive spreadsheet. And as you can uh, try and figure out, this is usually leads to a lot of human error and misrepresentations of your inventory. So AWS aims to kind of automate that process by implementing a tool like Systems Manager. And Systems Manager offers a, an inventory feature that basically collects inventory data off your instances using the agent that I re referred to earlier. And this collects information such as operating system name and version, software name and version, and instance metadata. But it can, it can also be highly customizable. So if you have a, a custom piece of software that you've deployed in your environment, you can customize the inventory feature to collect that software information to ensure that that, that certain uh, software is being deployed in your environment and that the correct build is always deployed in your environment. And like I said, this is really automates the process of collecting your inventory. But to, to enhance that feature, it integrates very well with a tool like AWS Config, where you can collect historical information on any changes that are made to your inventory. So if you have a release that's coming out on the 23rd, you can see, okay, here's what everything that was deployed on the 22nd, and then here's everything that changed on the 23rd and who changed it. And like I said, it really just helps you really provide insight into your inventory and understand what things are being changed and who's changing them. Now configuration <laughs> Um Like I said before, a lot of uh, CSPs are collecting configuration baselines, but they don't they don't have a good way of ensuring that configuration drift does not happen within their environment. So I want to address it from an AWS account perspective as well as an individual host perspective. And from an AWS account perspective, uh, there's a tool like AWS Config. And like I said before, it provides you kind of historical data on all of your AWS resources and, and how they've changed over time. But it also offers something like Config Rules, which I'm sure a lot of you have have used. Um, it's been around a little while. It's currently going through the FedRAMP authorization process. But to help you implement controls like CM2, which is configuration baseline, and CM6, which is configuration settings, it allows you to define a desired state of your AWS resources and then evaluate those resources based on triggers. Uh, and these can be event-based or time-based. So you can say, I don't want any of my S3 buckets to be public. So you can define that as the desired state um, and say, I want to evaluate all my S3 buckets every hour, or week, or month. Um, and it'll go ahead and it'll evaluate those resources and ensure that, that they are meeting the desired configuration settings that you've defined within AWS config rules. Now, from an individual host perspective, uh, we have Systems Manager. And in particular, we have State Manager, uh, which is a feature of Systems Manager that operates very similar to config rules in that you define a desired state um, for your instances and then set triggers. They can be event or time-based as well. And, and evaluate those instances to ensure that they're meeting that desired state at all times. Um, and it can integrate with something like simple notification services to notify your administrators when something uh, does drift at all. Or even something like Lambda where you could kick off a Lambda function 
um, to realign it with your desired configurations. The next pitfall I want to talk about is content of audit records. And we find that most CSPs are, are auditing. They collect massive amounts of log data. Um, but they really don't do anything with it. They collect it, they store it, they keep it uh, based on the, the regulations that they have to abide by. Um, but they, they really address it from a, a reactive approach, whereas if something bad happens, we'll go look at the log data and, and try and figure out what happened. And, and what the AWS services allow you to do is, is move from a reactive standpoint to a more proactive standpoint. So the first tool I want to talk about is CloudTrail. And I'm sure a lot of you, once again, are using CloudTrail. Um, but for those of you who don't know what it is, it basically collects and provides an audit history of all the API calls that occur within your AWS account. And this is particularly important when it comes to AWS in that every time you, you interact with it in your AWS account, it's done through an API call. So whether you you've mess with it through the, the management console or through the CLI or, the, or one of the many SDA SDKs, those are all API calls. So CloudTrail gathers that data and aggregates it for you and, and collects things like what happened, what resources were affected, and, and what time they were affected at. And then that data can then be aggregated into something like CloudWatch logs, um, where you can actually apply actionable events against those log files. So if, if, if someone is, is accessing your environment at, at 2 a.m. on a Saturday, you can integrate CloudWatch logs with something like Simple Notification Services to notify your administrators like, hey, something fishy is going on here. And like I said, it, it moves to more of a proactive approach where as soon as things are, are happening within your environment, you're taking action against them. Um, and while this may not completely eliminate your threats, it at least will reduce the blast radius if, if you are, are proactively addressing any kind of concerns that you see within your environment. And then the, the last pitfall I want to talk about is account management. And I would say 90, 95% of our CSPs are implementing account management in some form or fashion. Um, but what they have a hard time implementing is the concepts of least privilege and separation of duties, as well as consistent authentication protocols, um, whereas some users are authenticating via username and password, while some are using username, password, and a multi-factor authentication token. And like some of the other pitfalls, I'd like to address this from an AWS account perspective as well as from an individual host perspective. Um, from an AWS account perspective, AWS offers identity and access management. And what it provides is, is fine-grained access controls to your AWS resources via JSON policies and really allows you to implement these concepts of least privilege and separation of duties in a very simplistic fashion so that you you can do it quickly and, and identify people who should have access to certain resources based on their job function, uh, and like I said, in a very simple, simplistic manner. And it also allows you the ability to implement something like multi-factor authentication in a very simple manner in that typically this, this can be a bit difficult to implement, but with IAM, it, it makes it pretty simple um, to implement multi-factor authentication over your AWS resources. And then from the individual account perspective, I'm really excited about this is Cloud Directory. And in particular, uh, we are currently onboarding through the FedRAMP authorization process, My Microsoft Active Directory as a managed service. 
And what this will allow you to do is create a trust relationship between AD and the AWS cloud and your on-prem AD so that you can manage your users and resources um, across your, your hybrid architectures in a very familiar manner. Uh, Microsoft Active Directory is a great tool, um, and it's, it's really exciting to, to be able to leverage this tool in the AWS cloud. And I want to close out my piece by talking about the Center for Internet Security's AWS Foundation uh, Secure Hardening Guide. And what this is is, is basically step-by-step -step directions on how to harden your AWS account. And CIS and AWS personnel have really worked closely to identify the baseline configurations that you need to establish within your environment to harden it as best as possible while still maintaining operations. And I can't stress this enough. If you're pursuing a FedRAMP authorization or, or just using AWS, please check this out and, and harden your AWS account as best as possible. Turn on as many settings as you can, as it, it really will just enhance the security uh, with, with your account. So at this time, I'd like to pass it back over to Jen to talk about some of AWS's partner resources. Thank you, Joe. All right. So there's a lot of resources available to our customers, and we've built it from our own experience and also working through um, many of our partners who have also gone through the FedRAMP authorization process. AWS has put together many resources that you have access to. You have access to your AWS account managers, as well as the AWS Security and Compliance Business Accelerators team. And if you really need dedicated services, we have AWS professional services who will come and work with you on understanding what you can do to use the services that Joe explained on how you can prepare for your FedRAMP assessment. We also have relationships with the FedRAMP PMO. So when you have to have those discussions with them, feel free to reach out to AWS, and we will work with you and identifying who you need to speak with in their program management office. And again, going back to my slide earlier, we also have many relationships with government agencies who are our authorizing officials, and we are happy to help you with any discussions you may have with them as well. We also want you to leverage AWS Marketplace. There's a ton of security solutions out there, especially when you're looking at third-party solutions. They may not be readily available to you today, but you are needing these requirements to meet those government requirements such as FedRAMP. We want you to access our partners because we have many security solutions available to you that can help you speed up your ATO process. So to leave you with this and to help you with your FedRAMP ATO process and accelerating the time, you want to make sure that you're using the AWS services and scope of our FedRAMP authorization boundary. And this is available to you on our website. It'll list all the services that are in our FedRAMP authorization boundary so you can accelerate the process. Next, you want to leverage the optimal path for your business, especially when you're going through the FedRAMP process. And this is what Michael explained earlier 
the three options that you have. Which one works best for your business, your customers, and your time? We also want you to leverage the AWS FedRAMP Partner Package. It's a great tool to help quick start what you need to focus on when it comes to being audited by your independent third-party assessor. So you can spend your resources dedicated to those controls that you need to implement. And from Joe's presentation, to, quick, to quicken the steps, you want to automate your security objectives by using the AWS securities services that we have available to you. Those five common pitfalls can easily be addressed with AWS services that we provide. And it also provides a great example of the artifacts and evidence that you need to produce in your audit. And last but not least, you want to leverage your Amazon partner network. Many of them have gone through the FedRAMP ATO process, and you can reach out to them and understand the lessons learned and challenges that they've had and what made them successful. And last but not least, AWS Marketplace, multiple security solutions available to you to help accelerate your process. Doing all of this, you can speed up your ATO process to meet your business and security objectives. So this concludes our presentation, and we're happy to take questions if anyone has any questions after the session. We know we're after this lunch is next, so many of you might want to have lunch, but we'll, ha we'll be happy to stand here and take questions afterwards. So thank you.